It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Uh, I'm going to say no one's better than me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, let's go. Blow Welcome to the Wednesday, May 13th edition of Locked On Dolphins, brought to you by Built Bar. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, senior NFL draft analyst at thedraftnetwork.com, managing editor of USA Today's Dolphins Wire, and I have a sincere apology owed to a loyal listener of the show, a new listener of the show, too. Uh, Kiko Akai left a Power to the Pod review uh, ahead of my recording, but it did not show up until uh, late last night in my actual queue when I pull out my phone and look at uh, the reviews for the show. The reason why I'm leading with this is this. Uh, Kiko, my guy, said, expecting to hear this on Tuesday, it will be a crushing blow to my (laughs) self-esteem. So, um, he had a number of different questions. He, he, he hit us with three. And the first one is a really good one. It's the one I'm going to use to build upon for today's episode of the show. Uh, and it's regarding uh, the offensive tackle situation. So, Kiko, apologize for not seeing yours. It did not come through on my phone when I was reading the reviews. But before we get there, we do have a little bit of, of news regarding the Miami Dolphins and their progress towards a completely signed 2020 NFL draft class. The news from the day yesterday, the Miami Dolphins signed third-round draft selection Brandon Jones, safety out of Texas, to his rookie contract. Uh, The latest in a slew, we saw three of these guys sign at the end of the week last week, and then we saw three of these guys sign at the beginning of this week, and these were the heavy hitters at the beginning of the week between Tuatunga Vailoa, Raekwon Davis, and now Brandon Jones, who is a bit of a wild card relative to the Dolphins draft class and that the Dolphins surprised with the selection of Ibahagany in the first round of this year's 2020 NFL draft and then turned around at pick 70 and still drafted another safety in Brandon Jones. Where does he fit into the puzzle? Is he a free safety, strong safety, a sub-package third safety? That is yet to be determined, but one thing that we do know for certain is that Brandon Jones is signed and will be ready when it comes time to strap on the pads. I really admire the systemic approach that the Dolphins are taking in this rookie class. It's almost like what the recommended approach is for paying off your debts, whether it's student loans or credit card bills or whatever. It's like, okay, Funnel extra money into one and get one box checked. And then once that box is checked, now take all that energy and focus into the next box and move on and on and on and on and on. And that's what the Dolphins are doing with this rookie class where uh, you saw Jason Strobridge and Curtis Weaver and Solomon Kindly and Blake Ferguson, long snapper. Those were the four guys that signed at the end of the week last week. Those dominoes kind of all came together pretty quickly. And now it's 
Tua signs three hours later. Oh, yeah, Raekwon Davis signed 12 hours later. Oh, yeah, Brandon Jones signed. Miami consistently getting these guys turned out and, and having Tua especially be the one who signed early in the process is going to help the Dolphins avoid a lot of these headaches that you often see with a lot of teams as far as negotiations for fine print. And the Dolphins, listen, they did it super easy. They said, Tua, your rookie contract, if all goes well, we play three seasons. We're going to be invested in you for three seasons anyway. You're probably going to get that money because if all goes well in the first three seasons, we're going to exercise your fifth-year option, and then all of your money in years four and five is going to already be guaranteed. So let's just guarantee you the full thing. Because at the end of the day, we drafted you with the number five overall pick. There's no foreseen circumstances that is going to result in the Dolphins breaking ties with Tua ahead of the first three seasons because of the heavy investment that they placed in him. So they knew they were going to pay him that money anyway. We've officially just made it a formality. And and now, if the team exercises the fifth-year option, there will be no conversion of salary to fully guaranteed because the Dolphins already fully guaranteed the contract. Appreciate this bit of foresight from the Dolphins as they continue to work through this rookie class. But for now, I want to shift my eyes to, to Kiko Akai, uh, who left a, a very nice review of the podcast. Um, his question, his first question, the one that we're going to tackle on today. Am I the only one freaking out about our offensive tackle situation this upcoming year? Developmental prospects in Austin Jackson and Robert Hunt. And Hunt, who's arguably better suited inside, what happens if one of those guys doesn't pan out year one? We're stuck with Jesse Whiff Davis and Julian Dabport on the outside. I like your opinion on the matter. Thanks for asking. I'll offer mine too. Feels like we emphasized the guards and left a lot to chance at the offensive tackle position. Well, Kiko, I don't I don't necessarily think you're wrong, to be completely honest with you. And Rome wasn't built in a day is what I would say. And what I want to talk about today is these two rookie offensive tackles and setting baseline expectations for them and how the Dolphins can accentuate their strengths as best as possible, knowing what they do well and don't do well currently on the football field, as well as the the long-term view of the Dolphins and their offense and the supporting cast and, and how all these pieces of the puzzle fit together. Because you're absolutely right. In that if the Dolphins have their top four offensive tackles be a very green Austin Jackson, a guard-slash-tackle debate in Robert Hunt, and Jesse Davis and Julian Davenport, we already know what the two backups look like on this front, and it's pretty eye-opening. So Mike Clay of uh, ESPN collected the pass-block win rates from ESPN. It's a metric they use for the Miami Dolphins qualifying offensive linemen. 171 offensive linemen qualified. So effectively, each of the top five offensive linemen from every NFL offensive line across the league, he collected their pass-block win rates. We already know the rushing game's bad because Ryan Frickin' Fitzpatrick only started 13 games, it was the team's leading rusher. They couldn't move anybody off the ball to save their lives, right? Mike Clay. Of 171 qualified NFL offensive linemen last season, Dolphins Michael Dieter, Evan Bame, Shaq Calhoun, Julian Davenport, Jesse Davis, and Jamarcus Webb all finished 146th or worse in ESPN stats and info's pass block win rate. Here are their actual rankings. 
out of 171 qualifying offensive linemen. Dieter was the best, 146. Playing with hot trash at center, hot trash at left tackle, and we'll, we'll, we'll reveal just how hot of trash it was. Evan Bame, 149th, off the team. Shaq Calhoun, 165th. Do not bet a single dollar that Calhoun makes this roster this year. Not when the investments they make. Calhoun will be cut. Julian Davenport, 169th out of 171. Jesse Davis, 170th out of 171. And Jamarcus Webb, 171st out of 171. Dolphins, four qualifying offensive linemen within the worst six offensive linemen in the league in pass block win rate last year. So to the question of what the Dolphins have done at offensive tackle, at the very least, they have introduced two new players that are going to make those other players be the backups. That in itself is progress. Also progress, mathematically speaking, it's almost, it is literally impossible to get worse at the offensive tackle position than having the three worst qualifying offensive linemen in the entire league at every position in pass plus productivity. And that's what the concern is going to be for both Austin Jackson and Robert Hunt. You consider where their strengths are. They are athletic, mobile, powerful road graders in the run game. They get on bodies. They stay sticky. They move you from point A to point B against your will. It's a great asset to have. But in pass protection, these were literally the three worst offensive, the three Dolphins offensive tackles were literally the three worst offensive linemen in football in pass protection last year. Like, not hyperbole. Like, not exaggerating. Mathematically speaking, their win rates in pass protection were that bad. So how do you mask that? becomes a big challenge, and one of the ways Adam Gase tried to do it is take his tight end and play his tight end in blocking protection and, and go more max protect and fewer men in, out in routes. Chan Gailey ain't going to do that. Chan Gailey's going to play a ton, a poop ton of 11 personnel. Mike Isecki, he'll be flexed out in the slot. He'll be offset off the line of scrimmage. This is like an H-back type move piece. He ain't going to play with his hand in the dirt. He ain't going to be pass blocking, nor should he be. Because you saw what the science experiment looked like with Mike Isecki in pass protection in 2018. He was terrible at it. So how do you mask it? Speed of the ball out of the quarterback's hand. Run the ball effectively. Force teams to not sell out for the pass. Don't fall behind by 14 points in every game. These are the little things that the Dolphins can do differently as far as Run the ball is going to make your pass protection better. Because running the ball with some effectiveness is going to keep you out of third and nine every single possession, every single time you hit third down. That's what the Dolphins have to do. So you have to play to their strengths in the early downs. Specifically, these two you know, offensive tackles, the entire, it counts for the entirety of the line, but I'm focused predominantly on the offensive tackle situation because this was a great point. Well, the Dolphins were really bad at offensive tackle, and they brought in two guys who are going to be raw in pass protection as offensive tackles. Is that an upgrade? Do we need to be worried about that? This is ultimately why I am not in a rush to get Tua on the field. You hear some doctors say, you know, eight months would be plenty of time removed from a traumatic hip injury, that he should be able to be cleared for contact, and if you wanted to start him to start the year, 
Physically, he'd be capable of doing so. I'm not interested in getting into that mess. Are you? You want to take your prized quarterback who needs to learn how to consistently take the checkdowns and find the balance between his big play mentality and not holding the ball too long, and you want to put him behind a brand-new offensive line with five new starters, potentially four new starters, and you're going to ask him to be the glue that holds everything together, or are you going to take your 38-year-old veteran quarterback who thrived in these conditions last year, who's now playing with his brand-new offensive coordinator, who was his offensive coordinator at two of his last three prior stops, 38-year-old contract quarterback, are you going to put him in that situation? I think that that's the biggest selling point for me. This has nothing to do with two and two his ability to get on the field and readiness to get on the field. It has to do with understanding who these offensive tackles are, what this offensive line is going to look like, how the Dolphins need to get this thing to gel, and then you take into consideration, well, we play Denver in the first six games of the season. Well, we play San Francisco in the first six games of the season. These are not the kind of defensive lines you're going to want to trot out there for a face of the franchise young quarterback and let him get the tar knocked out of him. Not interested in it. We're going to talk a little bit more about Robert Hunt, Austin Jackson specifically. But before we do, I want to talk to you about our friends over at Built Bar. I don't know what kind of witchcraft and wizardry these guys have going into these protein bars, but they are amazing. I'm on my third, third order. Sponsorship started at the month of May. They sent us sample boxes. I'm that hooked. I'm on my third order already. One-seventh the sugar and carbs of a typical protein bar. More grams of protein than a typical protein bar. 110 to 150 calories a piece. And they eat like candy. They don't eat like leather. Promo code locked on at BuiltBar.com can save you $10 off your first box of Built Bar, and I highly recommend you go to BuiltBar.com, promo code locked on to save $10, and find out what all the fuss is about. If you do, tweet at me. Let me know. Would love to know what flavors you guys are getting cooked into. Uh, they just debuted cookie dough with dark chocolate was a new flavor this week. So give me three days. I'll probably be on my fourth box. We'll wait. We'll have to wait and see. But promo code locked on. At BuiltBar.com, save yourself 10 bucks and find out what all the fuss is about on the Locked On Network with Built Bar. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So we have spent and invested a lot of time talking about the offensive line and where it ranks now relative to the AFC East was an exercise we've done recently. And if there's injuries... At the very least, the Dolphins will be knowing what they're getting into with the players that they have available. But I would also say this for the offensive line. The offensive line is one of the most dependent groups upon those around you. The secondaries like this as well. The ability to overlap, complement each other's skill sets, it's essential. 
And I think about Jesse Davis playing at right tackle. I don't think he's best suited at right tackle. I think he's a bit of a tweener in general, right? Think about Michael Dieter playing between Daniel Kilgore with a really soft anchor and turnstiles at left tackle for the entire season. There's no no opportunity for the links of this chain to to get set and to provide any consistent protection and push. And I think even if you had to take a Julian Davenport and place him back into the lineup, or if you had to take a Jesse Davis and play him and start him at right tackle because Robert Hunt needs to move inside to, to right guard, getting better play, the difference between for Jesse Davis at right tackle, Shaq Calhoun to Robert Hunt at guard is massive. Getting a center that's capable of anchoring is going to be massive for both guards. If Michael Dieter were to get a shot, hypothetically, at guard, having better players on either side of him is going to make him a better player. So the saying that was made by Josh Rosen in in regulations to the quarterback competition was a rising tide raises all ships, right? And he said that relative to competition between him and Ryan Fitzpatrick. I look at the rising tide of the Dolphins' talent level, and it's going to help make Jesse Davis, Julian Davenport, be less of complete liabilities. Because instead of five individuals out there, you have five guys who cohesively, even though they're new pieces, they all fit the same mold. And the Dolphins kind of had like this smorgasbord of dudes just like thrown in there. It's like, well, Julian Davenport was the guy we got back for Tunsil, so we'll start him. Well, he got hurt, so now it's Jamarcus Webb, who's a street-free agent, and Dieter was a third-round pick, and kind of a tweener between center guard and tackle. He doesn't have the length to play tackle. Let's play him at left guard because it's the best available spot. Daniel Kilgore was a previous regime bring-on. Shaq Calhoun's literally the only body, warm body we can find after going through a, a number of different right guards that were brought in, Danny Isidore being one via trade, can't stay healthy. Shaq Calhoun is the warm body that's going to go in there. And then Jesse Davis is going to play next to him. So should we still be concerned about the offensive line? Yes, absolutely. But the rising tide of the talent of the offensive line as a collective unit is going to allow for some more cover-up of all of the glaringly bad plays that took place throughout the course of the season. How does that fit into pass protection for Austin Jackson and Robert Hunt. The right guard spot makes Hunt's positioning at tackle fascinating. If it's Jesse Davis, at least Jesse Davis has experience playing guard and playing both tackle positions. His IQ regarding scheme and identifying fronts and and making calls and, and relaying calls should at least help provide some stability. Where you start getting scared is is putting uncertain pieces next to each other. We know what we have in Jesse Davis, and I, I think he is a serviceable utility offensive lineman, and if you have to start and use him for 16 games, you know you're going to have the lapses, but he's been around the block enough times that he should at least be able to help elevate Robert Hunt, understand his assignments. Same thing on the other side. Eric Flowers has played offensive tackle. He was not very good at offensive tackle, but he understands the position 
He struggled with the spacing and the angles, but he knew what the calls were supposed to be. And then he moves inside to guard, and he has his best career year in Washington. And I think for both of these hypothetical rookie tackles, if they both end up in the starting lineup, which they should both end up in the starting lineup as top 40 picks, I wouldn't expect anything less. That has to be where we draw our inspiration for, okay, we understand this team is going to have to run the ball to help prevent pass rushers from teeing off on our tackles. So the commitment to the run game is going to keep other opposing defenses a little more on their heels. And then the experience of the guys that are going to be playing next to both of those guys, if they are indeed the guys who win the job. You know, if Solomon Kindly is, is, wins the job and you got brand new center, Solomon Kindly is a rookie and Robert Hunt is a rookie playing next to each other, all bets are off. We might see even more chaos there early on in the season. Not necessarily indic- indicative that it's a bust and that it's not going to play out well if it doesn't turn out well in its first 16 games. But you should be ready for more variability and less stability if they opt to go with two rookies playing next to each other on the right side of the line. Which is why I don't think it will happen, ultimately. I do think they like Jesse Davis too much, and, and his versatility to play a number of different spots will play into him ultimately winning a starting job somewhere. But that has to be the recipe, is lean on the guy next to you who was in your shoes and is now inside to help you with your pre-snap processing. And then we're going to rely on our methodology offensively and quick game. The ball coming out quick is big because three-step ball is out. Pass rushers aren't going to get a chance to get home because these guys have the length and the size that they do. That's how you check the box. And the methodology of running the football to help keep third downs more manageable and help keep opposing defenses a little more on their heels so they're not so quick to burst out of their stance. That's the recipe, I think, for even though these guys are raw, that's how we look at what they offer now and say this is how this can be a stable formula until they are able to develop their pass sets at the pro level and get better at some of the technical deficiencies that they both have. What we're going to do now, continue this crossover series. Uh, Cody Roark of uh, Locked On Broncos had a great time talking with him, some good insights into the Broncos' path to rebuilding and how I think it may or may not be mirroring that of the Dolphins. Hope you guys enjoy this segment with Cody talking about the Denver Broncos and the Miami Dolphins who are scheduled to play this fall. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Okay, Cody, it's my turn here to grill you on the Denver Broncos getting ready for this uh, hopefully early season matchup between these two football teams, the Miami Dolphins and the Denver Broncos. Uh, First and foremost, you know, I do want to touch on uh, some of the similarities as far as where the Denver Broncos are at now versus where I see the Dolphins moving forward and get your insight on how they're able to help a young quarterback. So 
Drew Locke, second round selection, the 2019 NFL draft, uh, came in and the, the Broncos had made some heavy investments on the offensive line with bringing in uh, Jawan James from Miami and sign, or drafting Dalton Reisner in the second round of the 2019 NFL draft. And then you saw them this next offseason bringing in a bunch of skill players. I think that's a formula that the Dolphins are probably going to follow. They went heavy offensive line this year, skill players next year. How much did it help? I know Jawan James, that investment didn't really materialize the way Denver would have liked to have seen in year one at least. How much is that investment expected to pay off this year with so many young pieces and so much team speed around Drew Locke and his big arm? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, when I look back at 2019, when Drew Locke came in week 13 against the Los Angeles Chargers, I mean, the Broncos' main weapon they had offensively was Cortland Sutton, who had two touchdowns in the first quarter against them. And so when you go back and you look through the five-game sample size that we have on Drew Locke, you know, consistently he was targeting Cortland Sutton, that he was looking for Noah Fant a little bit. You know, I think, you know, those are the, those are the main two options the Broncos had offensively last year outside of the run game with Phillip Lindsay. Uh, he was obviously a workhorse and was able to inch his way to 1,000 yards uh, in his second season. Uh, but the, there was an evident noted, uh, noticeable trend on film that on third down situations, passing situations, teams, they had all of a sudden they'd cheat their coverage over to Cortland Sutton's side of, of the field. They wanted the Broncos to try to beat them with somebody else, and, and they were able to do that. You know, Deshaun Hamilton emerged late in the season, last two games, six catches in each of the matches between Detroit and the Oakland Raiders at the time, now the Las Vegas Raiders. So, you know, I think for them, they, they knew that that was not the formula to be successful long-term because the Broncos were only putting up 17 points per game, minus that offensive output that he put on the road against the Houston Texans, 38 points, three touchdowns, 300 yards in one half. I mean, that was a remarkable performance in his second career start in Denver. Uh, a big surprise, too, you know, ultimately. Uh, but, you know, what you've seen in the offseason, them going and getting Jerry Judy, the best route runner in the 2020 NFL draft, KJ Hamler, a speed guy that really, you know, we were all hoping we could, could have seen him run in the NFL scout and combine. He's got that true burner speed. You bring in Melvin Gordon in the offseason to compliment Philip Lindsay, be that premier back. Well, all of a sudden, now you have a variety of options. It's pick your poison. The Broncos go from having one to two options. Now they have three to four different options uh, that they can utilize with Pat Shermer's offense. And it's going to be a new offense for the Broncos this year. A little bit of carryover from 2019, but ultimately experience at the play calling position. Now, this is a team that, that finished strong. You know, they, they won four games in, in Drew Locke's five starts. How much of a sense was there for Denver last year of what if when you think about, you know, three one-score losses in the first eight games of the season and, and some really rough losses? I believe that Chicago game uh, really got away from them in the last minute of the football game. How close does Denver feel like they are? maybe not necessarily competing with Kansas city for the division because that's such a lofty goal to set, but especially with this extra playoff spot in the AFC this year, is that the expectation in Denver based on how close you were in some of those early games that you lost? Well, yeah, you know, I think that's a great point too. John always said it in the end of the year press conference, which you, you know, you probably would hope and expect that from your GM and your president of football operations that, you know, the goal first and foremost is to win the division. And as you mentioned, Kansas city is a tough team. They are loaded with weapons. They got better as well this off season uh, in the NFL draft, despite all the cap circulation that's, that's going on right now, who knows what Patrick Mahomes contract's going to look like, what that might put them in a bind, but obviously the franchise tag bringing some of their key players back. Uh, but you know, you, when you look at that, you look at the extra playoffs, Spot. The Broncos finished second in the AFC West with a 7-9 record. That Chicago game, there was a roughing the passer call that occurred in the final minute of that game. 
The NFL later that week said that they got the call wrong and it shouldn't have been roughing the passer. So you always go back in your head and you play the woulda, coulda, shoulda game. What if that didn't happen? Because then the Broncos, they start out one, uh, oh for they start out one and one rather than oh for two. And then they go on to start the season oh for four, lose that Jacksonville game on a last second field goal. So just two heartbreakers, really a couple of those games. If they executed a couple of plays, the Indianapolis game is another one. They held a, a substantial lead in that game. They couldn't sack Jacoby Brissett late in the fourth quarter on third and long. So at that point, you know, you factor in, you went seven and nine, but there were three games where if you won, you could have gone, you know, and easily 10 and six in the season. And then you might have a different conversation. So the Broncos, Vic Fangio, Ed Donatel, the, the coaching staff, the organization, they believe that this team is relatively close, considering that offensively, they're one of the youngest teams in the league. They're hoping they can build on that with the experience with their coaches and Pat Shermer, obviously with Mike Shula as the quarterback coach for Drew Locke. And then you factor in the defense where they do have Von Miller. They bring in Jarrell Casey via a seventh round draft pick. They traded it, a seventh rounder for him. I mean, that's a complete steal for a player of that caliber. He's going to come in and compete. And outside of that, A.J. Boye as well coming in to be the number one cornerback. Uh, the Broncos believe that they have a, a, a variety of veteran players that can contribute and that are ready to lead. But ultimately, they're also investing a lot of hope and a lot of young guys to step up this year as well. Guys like Duke Dawson uh, in the secondary, Trey Marshall, uh, Kareem Jackson, obviously coming back and having a strong year too. And they're hoping they can get some investment from Juwan James this year, who is expected to be fully healthy going into the start of things. One of my favorite questions I've had the chance to ask the guys on the crossovers thus far throughout the, the past week and a half is, if a team was going to build a game plan or a blueprint to try and get Denver in this case, out of their own game plan and get them out of their game. What does that blueprint look like? Offensively, I would say it is uh, compressing the run game. Now, when Philip Lindsay was the premier back for Denver, teams started to pinch the ex the exterior of the defensive line. They just pinch in, send the inside linebackers into the A and B gap because they had they were going against disciplined edge guys where Philip Lindsay couldn't bounce out. And they didn't have really a lot of versatility at the right guard position with Ron Leary, where they could pull Ron Leary from the right side to the left to be able to create space on the outside. Dalton Reisner was the best pulling guard. And so when they ran stretch plays, toss plays or counter plays uh, to the right side, they had a lot more success. But Ultimately, it was like a one-trick pony, essentially, for the Broncos. They were forcing teams early on. They, they wanted Denver to throw the football because, look, they were going to line up in man coverage. They were going to bracket Cortland Sutton with the safety over the top, cheat the inside backer in, man up on everybody else, and really try to force them to beat them through the air. And the Broncos struggled. They, they couldn't do it. They struggled on third down. They were one of the bottom-ranked teams uh, in third down percentage. Also in the red zone offensively, they were one of the worst. So when, when teams were able to do that, they got Denver out of their element. And so for I would say a game plan for Miami is if they could come in, if they could stop the run game first, then you're going to put a lot of pressure on a second-year quarterback, I still view him as a rookie because he hasn't had a full 16 games yet, mm -hmm. but you put that pressure on Drew Locke to try to beat you with his arm, and I think that's what teams should do. Cody, my last question for you is you had mentioned some of the newcomers on the defensive side of the football with Jarrell Casey being an absolute steal to come in here to Denver and, and trading for A.J. Bouye as well, who was a player who didn't really command a lot of draft capital based on some of his previous track record. And you know, there's, there's some concern about you know the magic number of 30 for corners and if he's on the wrong side of that or not, or how steep the drop-off might be. And, and getting Bradley Chubb back as well is going to be a huge boost for, for Denver as well. Of those players who do you anticipate including Bradley Chubb in this conversation being the biggest x-factor or difference maker for Denver's defense in 2020 
Well, I'd say out of the players that you mentioned there, Kyle, you know, it's hard to discount Bradley Chubb because even in that four games that he played before he tore his ACL against Jacksonville, he was playing like a man on fire, like a man possessed. And, and the one thing I look at, if he didn't tear his ACL, I felt like he could have made a significant argument to be an all-pro player uh, in 2019, you know. But, you know, we in hindsight, we don't get to see that. So for him, he's going to be key to that because the Broncos, what Von Miller experienced when Bradley Chubb tore his ACL, more double teams, more triple teams. Mm -hmm. When Bradley Chubb was in there, they couldn't commit as many guys to double teaming Von Miller because then Bradley Chubb was coming off the edge free. So it's really all about trying to uh, create a middle ground for your resources if you're an offensive coordinator going against his defense. The addition of Jarrell Casey, in my opinion, is going to be very big. The Broncos did not have a lot of success in 2019 creating interior pass rush penetration uh, with Mike Purcell, who is a primarily a run plug. And so now you add Jarrell Casey, who can play a three technique. He can play a five. He can also play a zero and a one tech. He can play him inside. And I think you get that dynamic there for the Broncos. I think Jarrell Casey is going to be a big X factor here um, alongside Bradley Chubb. If I had to really kind of pinpoint two key guys. Yeah, it's an unenviable task for the Dolphins knowing this is an offensive line that will have four or five new starters on it having to go play in mile high, knowing that you now have a healthy Bradley Chubb, Von Miller off the edge, and Jarrell Casey is the penetration player inside. So uh, that, for me, as I look at this potential matchup down the road, is how quick can you get that offensive line to gel? Because if you're not all on the same page, a front that has this amount of versatility is going to eat you alive. So, Cody, really appreciate the time and chatting with you, man. This has been great. And uh, wish you nothing but the best in the summer as we build towards the season. And here's hoping we get this game kicked off on time so we can hook back up and talk, uh, talk some football. That is going to do it for us today on this Wednesday episode of Locked on Dolphins. Some offensive line, big ugly talk, getting to know some of the ins and outs of these rookie offensive tackles for the Dolphins. And get to know the Denver Broncos, courtesy of Cody Groark from Locked On Broncos. We'll be back again tomorrow, so hit subscribe. Come on back and see us. While you're at it, if you're interested in some good NFL, college football conversation, check out thedraftnetwork.com. If you're interested in more written Dolphins content specifically, swing over to USA Today's Dolphins Wire. I've got some good stuff over there for you today as well. Kyle Krabs, signing off. Keep it locked in right here on Locked On Dolphins. Hope to see you guys again tomorrow. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.